chapter 27. Now, I've been here before. At this time of, of my ministerial life, I've been about everywhere before. <laughs> Matthew chapter 27. Now, here's what we're going to do. Brother Campbell's been working very diligently on getting things ready. I'm going to do the teach the trail of blood again. And here's how I've decided I'm going to do it. I'm going to we're going to continue on having our auditorium service on Sunday morning. And Sunday afternoon, we'll go to the fellowship hall, and he's set up there to do the trail of blood. And then Wednesday nights, we'll do the trail of blood down the fellowship hall. But then Sunday morning, we'll be back up here and a regular service. I think that's be the wisest way to do it. Uh, I don't know how many services it will take. Brother Campbell's got a brand new chart. It looks like mine's been ironed in my old chart. But that old chart that I've got made out of a sheet, uh, man, how many years have I had that? Since back in the 70s? And that, that chart has been all over the country. It's been... Have I taken that into Brazil? I think I did. And I know I took it to Hungary, uh, Romania. I did the Trail of Blood in, in Hungary and Romania. So that thing has been well-traveled. And uh, it was handmade, and I think I've got my use out of it. So he's got us a brand-new one, fresh. Truth hadn't changed, but different way of displaying it. All right, let's look at Matthew 27. <clears throat> Matthew 27. Verse 1. When the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. Now let's look at the public response to Jesus. Now I know that Jesus already foretold he was going to be delivered up, he was going to be suffered and crucified, and he's going to die. That's what he came here for. And it was not possible to deter him from what he came here for, but he also said, Peter said on the day of Pentecost, he said, you all with wicked hands have taken him and crucified him and slain him. Just because you say, well, it's God's will. Yeah, but that doesn't release anybody from their personal responsibility. Just like you could say, well, the Antichrist is going to come, so why just give in? No, no, it's, it's, he is going to be. He is going to come. He is going to have a one world church, a one world uh, government. But that doesn't mean that we can't exercise our rights now and we ought to exercise and teach everything we can about it. <laughs> because people are still responsible. Which well, is like they say, well, we got, a, we got a president that is absolutely anti-American. And he is. Everything he's doing. Oh, well, it's God's will. Quit saying that. He didn't get in against God's will. But he's responsible for what he's doing. And that's why people say that. Just going to take away the responsibility. It's against God's law to steal. So well everybody's a lawbreaker. Everybody doesn't steal. And you can't justify stealing. You can't justify lying. You can't justify murdering. It's all against God, and people are responsible for their actions. Now, verse 2. And when they had bound him, now this is the Lord of glory. This is the creator of everything that is in the universe. And this is what they're doing to him. They led him away 
and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, and I still cannot get over the fact that there are some idiotic so-called Christians that make, try to make a case that Judas was a saved man. Judas was not a saved man. He was a devil from the beginning. That's what the Bible says. And when he died, he committed suicide. But when the spirit left his body, he went to his own place in hell. And there is a great gulf fixed that he can't get out of there. When he saw that he was condemned, now here, this is why they say he was saved. He repented. But that word is metomelomai. And that's the word for regret. He regretted that he got caught. He did not repent any more than Pharaoh repented. He repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest and elders. Now I think the Bible says he threw, threw them down in the temple. When that judge tells somebody, you're going to be sentenced to death. I sentence you to die. They don't do that much anymore. Very, very seldom. And then it takes them 40 years to kill them. They generally die of old age and on death row. Or I'm giving you life without parole. Many of them, you're just like, like old Br'er Rabbit. Throw me in the thorns. That's where he wanted to go. That's where they want to go. They don't have to eat. I mean, to work to eat. They don't have to do anything. And they go along with the program in there. Anyway, but they have that. So somebody might actually regret, well, I wish I hadn't got mad and killed that fella. I don't, he needed to die, but I'm sorry that I did it. Look what I'm getting out of it, see? And that's exactly what Judas is thinking. He was repented that he had got caught. He's saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See thou to that. That's your business. You did that. And he cast down, there it is, cast down the pieces of silver in the temple. And departed and went and hanged himself. He did everybody a favor, I guess. All these shooters, they shoot these kids and shoot, shoot their wives and girlfriends and everybody else. Why don't they just go ahead and shoot themselves and put themselves out of the misery and save everybody else? No, they don't do that. They will shoot everybody else. Anyway, at least he went and hanged himself. Would I have stopped him? Not on your life, I wouldn't. Anyway, the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, it is not lawful for to put them into the treasure because it is the price of blood. And they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Wherefore, that field was called the field of blood unto this day. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy or Jeremiah the prophet saying, and they took the 30 pieces of silver, the price of him that was valued, whom they of the children of Israel did value, and gave them for the potter's field as the Lord appointed. So there's Jeremiah. And Jesus stood before the governor. Now, the Lord of glory, the creator of everything that is, and the sustainer of life stood before this governor. And the governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest. 
And when he was accused of, of or by the chief priest and elders, he answered nothing. Then said Pilate unto him, Hearest thou not how many things they witness against thee? And he answered him to never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. Well, we have this account, historical account. I want to emphasize all of those things every time that I can. Because you see, you've got a whole world today that's taking the Bible and saying it's all a book of myths. It's historically inaccurate, scientifically inaccurate, and it's just mythological. You've got Baptists that do that. You've got so-called Baptists that do that. You've got Southern Baptist seminaries that do that. I know for a fact they start out going to be advanced study, but the first thing they do is they demythologize the Bible. They go through and take all the myths out of it. They don't do that with Darwin's book. If they do that with Darwin's book, they, it's all a myth if you take it for fact, because it wasn't fact. It's not fact. But now the Bible, these people are supposed to be proponents of the Bible, and yet they're saying that there's myth in it. You know what myth is? It's a phony story. Uh, Paul Bunyan and Babe the Blue Ox. Anybody ever hear that myth? One day we was out at Arizona at the Grand Canyon. And in that, it was snow on the ground. It wasn't snow down the bottom. It never gets there. But snow on the ground up here is it was cold. And we were in the ranger station where you can see the canyon. You can't just see down in there, but they got informational stuff there. And they had ranger, a woman, forest ranger, and she was given a lecture about the Grand Canyon. And she was talking about all this, how many millions of years it took for that Colorado River to carve that canyon out. I raised my hand, a big crowd there. I said, I got one better than that. I said, old, Bay, old, old Paul Bunyan and Babe the Blue Ox, they're walking from Minnesota out here to the West Coast, and he got tired about here, and he dropped his axe and drug it. And though we have the Grand Canyon right there, well, they didn't like that a bit. But I said, that's as good as your story. It came from the flood of Noah's day. Anyway, I want people to know this is not a book of myths. As I was saying, Brother Wayne read that first chapter of James this morning. <coughs> what a calm came over me. What a blessing. There's the truth. We've got the truth, kids. We've got the truth. There is no other truth like this. <coughs> if it's true, it came from God. This is God's word. Anyway. Much today is passed off as salvation. Now salvation, need to think about that. The Greek word sozo means to be delivered from harm. That's what salvation or saved, be saved. You pull somebody out of a fiery vehicle and they live, you just save them from that harm. That's the word saved. Well, then how, what does that with our context, what must I do to be saved is what the, the Philippian jailer said to Paul and Silas. He was talking about being saved from the wrath of God. He could see God is real. When that earthquake shook all that foundation of that jail and opened up all the doors and all that, 
And here's what Paul answered. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Delivered from harm. What harm? What harm can you be delivered from by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ? The harm of eternal hell, that's what? Under the wrath of Almighty God. So, a lot of what passes off as religion, salvation, is just totally false. Look where Jesus went. Now I understand, I've already said, men are responsible, men and women, are responsible for all of their evil deeds. It was not possible that Jesus should be kept from this. But at the same time, the people who directly caused that, they were accused before God. You with wicked hands have taken. Save yourselves therefore. Anyway, salvation is a rescue from the slave market of sin. That's what it means. The slave market, well, nobody likes that word now. And boy, they sure, the only, the pre-Civil War South is not the only place that ever practiced slavery. Matter of fact, that practice came to us from Europe. That mentality came to us from Europe. It's already being practiced there. And there are many, many, if not all, old uh, civilizations practiced slavery. Even Africans practiced slavery. Did they not enslave the whole nation of Israel? For 400 years, probably 430 years. And that was hard bondage. Much, there were some bad things about this slavery here. But that slavery they were involved in, that the Africans put them through, was worse than this one. Anyway, I don't want to be a slave. I don't want slaves. But slavery is a fact of human history. And nobody is free from it in your past. So we want reparations. Well, maybe you ought to pay, the black Africans ought to pay reparation to the Jews. Anyhow, not getting into all that, but slavery, Jesus said that you're either a slave to the Lord or to the devil. We can't get away from slavery. We're either one or the other. Now, who are you a slave to? Well, salvation is said, redemption is said to be a deliverance, a buying back from slavery. When I was saved, whether I realized all of this or not, as a nine-year-old kid, I knew I was lost. I didn't know to the extent of it. And all of the things that are taught in the scriptures, wasn't capable of knowing all that. But I did know this, that I, if I died, was going to go to hell. And I deserved to go to hell. Jesus redeemed me Bought me back from that slave market of sin. Amen. All right, so what I want to get to here. It is a pardon, salvation, given to a condemned sinner. And here's what you don't see much of. You don't see much of people coming under conviction of their sin. 
if I'm standing before a judge, that judge can issue out a execution sentence to me or life without parole and I know I am guilty, I'm not diddy-bopping before that judge. How can you diddy-bop down an aisle? We used to see that these big Graham evangelistic campaigns. And they get all these people walking down the aisle. And you see them just laughing and talking and all that. It's not the evidence of somebody that's come under conviction of their sin and realized that they're a hell-bound, lost sinner, and they deserve to go, and hell is forever, for eternity? Well, need to see some of that repentance. Anyway, the pardoned criminal never forgets the reality that he deserved the condemnation and yet was graciously pardoned. Can you sing Amazing Grace? How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost. But now I am found. Was blind, but now I see. Well, salvation must kind of follow this road, or you're probably not saved. Christ is our substitute. He's my substitute. Is he yours? He took the place of his elect, his people. Look where Jesus is right here. Standing before this human Roman pagan governor that has the power of life or death in his hands. And he's called on to the carpet in front of this judge. He did it for me. Yes. He took my place. That's what it means. He is the substitute. Well, he was charged <laughs> with my crimes. Yes. Yes. We argue about this all not argue, but we say this all the time. Jesus Christ did no sin. But he willingly obeyed the law of God and willingly did not sin. He earned perfect righteousness. But when he went to the cross, he was made to be sin for us. And he knew no sin. He was charged with my crimes. Now you put yourself in here. He was charged with my crimes. He was guilty with my guilt. What he faced before Pilate and what you don't see, God. You read Isaiah 53. And you see there that it pleased God to bruise him, to put him to an open shame. He was there before Pilate, but before God on my behalf. I'm the one that put him there. My sins put him there. Well, When we're saved, we travel that same road. When the Bible talks about coming, people used, I used to hear people in churches talking a lot about somebody coming under conviction. 
You don't hear that much anymore, do you? Coming under conviction. What do it mean? Coming under conviction of the sins. Realizing the light has shined and realizing that you are a hell-bound sinner who everything about you is opposed to God and you deserve to go to hell and you're on your way to hell. And that realization. Many people have never come to that realization, folks. And I don't know, God's going to save his people. But from, from humans, human experience, people are not hearing anything that's going to convict them of that. That's going to teach them that. You're not supposed to preach on judgment anymore. You're not supposed to preach on sin. Matter of fact, many so-called churches are arguing that there really isn't any sin. Well, what is all of this about that we just read? This is about sin, transgressing the law of God and Jesus Christ, the substitute, being made guilty with my guilt. And you can say there is a sense of pardoning before God in our salvation. We've been pardoned. But you've got to be condemned before you can be pardoned. If you haven't been condemned, there's no reason for pardon. And not many people are being condemned. The Word of God must condemn you. I don't need to try to condemn somebody. I just need to preach the Word of God. And if God's going to strike condemnation in your heart, it's going to be Him through His Word. Anyway, the law of God condemns us as the Holy Spirit applies it to our hearts. Look quickly at Romans 7. Just look at verse 7. Paul writes here. And Paul was a saved man when he wrote this. Unlike what many people try to say. That he wasn't even saved when he wrote this. They don't know what they're talking about. What should we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid or let it not be. Is what it literally says. Nay I had not known sin. But by the law. When I, listen, we could spend just a little bit of time going through the law. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. How's that do for you? Right now as I speak, what have you put before God? Anything that comes before God Is against God's law. Amen. He's to come first. Amen. Does he come first? Well, you go on through the Ten Commandments. That's what Paul's talking about. He said, Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. Well, coveting, want something that is not yours. That's lust. <clears throat> but sin. Oh. Taking occasion. By the commandment. Wrought or worked in me all manner. Of concupiscence. Things that I'm guilty of. For without the law sin was dead. He had the law, but he didn't have the law. He didn't have the law as it applied to him. He had it in hypocrisy. For he says, I was alive without the law once. Meaning he had life before God 
without the law once. He wouldn't say that now. But when the commandment came, when God brought the commandments to my heart and convicted my sin-deadened soul, sin revived, and I died. Now, did he actually die then? No. But he, in his own mind, his own realization, he died. He became the dead man that he was spiritually dead. And it was the law that brought it. But if they don't ever preach the law, I don't know how that would ever happen. How about these guys that say the law is fulfilled and just forget about it? They're heretics. You ought to stay away from them. Anyway, and the commandment which was ordained to life, the Ten Commandments as a Pharisee, Paul thought that he was alive with the commandments. Like the rich young ruler thought he was alive with the commandments. It never dawned on him that he was a transgressor of the law of God. But he said the commandment came, that is under the illumination of the Holy Spirit, sin revived. It's there all along. But it came revived. It came up in my, in my heart and my mind. And it consumed me. And I died spiritually. All this time he thought it was okay. And the commandment which was ordained to life. He thought it was. He was educated that it was. He said I found to be unto death. He said, the commandment, I thought I was alive before God with it. But in reality, the commandments kill me because the soul that sinneth, it shall die. And who for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God? All have. Amen. That's the way we all are. We're all in the same boat as Saul of Tarsus was. We may not have had the pharisaical upbringing that he had. But the fact of the matter is that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. This can be said about every human being in the world. All of the descendants of Adam except for the last Adam. The commandment which was ordained to life in his own estimation I found to be unto death. For sin taken occasion by the commandment deceived me and by it slew me. The wages of sin is death. Brother Campbell read this morning James 1. Lust, sin, and death. Lust brings forth sin. Sin brings forth death. And there it is. <coughs> and the law brings you before the judge. The law of God brings you before the great judge, God Almighty. Christ experienced it as our substitute. And if he wasn't your substitute, you will face it yourself in that day. Nobody's going to miss that. Read Revelation 20. That also is not symbolic. <laughs> that chapter is not symbolic. Revelation 20 is a literal chapter. Starts out with the millennial reign, thousand years, and it ends up with the great white throne judgment. Ain't nothing symbolic about either one of them. You know, I hope everybody gets that. All you heretic preachers trying to teach everybody that the book of Revelation 
just a bunch of symbols. No, that's literal. Future space, time, and history. And what's it say about that? Well, look over the Revelation 20 real quick. Verse 12. And I saw the dead small and great. Huh. I mean, little people and big people. Politically, economically. Stand before God. And the books were open. And another book was open. Which is the book of life. And the dead. Spiritually dead. Were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. Death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. Oh, that got the rich man. That's when the rich man got up there before the white throne judgment. And they were judged every man according to their works. Well... I haven't been judged according to my works. I've been judged according to Christ's work. Do you want to be judged according to your works? Think back to the Ten Commandments. Just refresh your mind with all of them. And see those ten Cover everybody in the whole world ever. How are your works? Are you ready to be before God, the judge of all the earth, and give account for all of your works? Death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And that's the permanent place. Anyway, who all's there? Small and great. Rich, poor, black, white, and everybody in between. They all stood there. The only ones that weren't there were the ones who have gone through this with Jesus Christ. Amen. I think that's a pretty good point. Amen. Anyway, Jesus stood here in historical reality. This wasn't a put up thing. He was literally standing before a, a heathen Roman judge who had the power of life and death called into account for himself. Well, do you know what it means to stand before God Almighty in the fear of God trembling before him? Well, if you're saved, you do. If you're saved, you know what it means to stand before in your heart and mind the judge of the universe and to know where you are and to be pardoned by the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ, his finished work of redemption. Well, his experience is the experience of every lost sinner coming to the Lord. Then it says here in verse 12. And when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Look at Romans 3.
He gives us all of the details of our depravity as it is written, verse 10. There is none righteous, no, not one. Now in that, the Apostle Paul is including Jews and Gentiles. You read what he, what he says at the beginning of this chapter. What advantage then hath the Jew much every way. But then he says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. That includes them all. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. Be careful listening to lost people about what the Bible teaches. They don't know what the Bible teaches. They don't know the God of the Bible. They're all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. That's abomination to God right there. Destruction and misery are in their ways. The way of peace have they not known. And there is no fear of God before their eyes. You listen on Facebook, on the internet, in the rap music, and all the modern music. You listen to them and what they say about God. You listen to Oprah. You listen to all those others. And there's no fear of God before their eyes. And look at verse 19 now. Now we know that what, what things soever the law saith. It saith to them who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. You say, what's that have to do with Matthew? Well, you ask the question, why did he answer nothing? Here's the reason why Jesus answered nothing. He couldn't answer anything. Why? Because at this point, Jesus, God's Christ, the creator of heaven and earth, the sinless son of God, he did no sin. He now has become guilty for Jerry Gum. And if you can put your name in there, do it. Amen. He now has become guilty, and there's nothing a guilty man can say except guilty is charged. When you're guilty before the judge, there really isn't anything else to say. And that's what he says here. And he answered nothing. Let me ask you this. I hear people say, oh, well, I'm not as bad as other people. Then I'm going to have to say that you've never been brought before the judge and convicted of your sin. Because you know there's nothing that you can say to justify yourself. So, has your mouth ever been stopped before God? You listen to a lot of people talking, you wonder whether they ever have been or not. Are you still trying to defend yourself? If you are, you're not saved. Amen. Look at James 2 real quick. Verse 
Verse 10. You know, there's things up there I haven't done. I've never taken my hand and really harmed another man, another human being. But oh, you ever been mad enough to kill? Think about it. <clears throat> Jesus said that's the same thing as doing it. Verse 10, for whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. I don't have to prove that to you. God's already said it. If, I, if I've done physically everything that's up there, not that I recall, but I don't have to go down the list. All I have to do is go to number one. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. If I'd ever had anything, put anybody or anything before God, I have transgressed the law, thereby becoming guilty of the whole law. Yeah. You see, without repentance, there's no forgiveness. There's no redemption. See, I get, get tired of hearing all this stuff. Uh, people say, oh, well, you gotta, you got to keep on forgiving. Well, no, you can't just say that. I know a lot of preachers say it. But the, Jesus said, seven times 70 per day. That's 490 times. When you figure out anything you do 490 times, you're not going to stay awake that long. But that's not exactly what he said. You read Luke, seven times 70 times, 490 times a day. If he says, I repent forgiving. This world is bent on wholesale forgiveness. I hear it on those police shows, judge shows. Somebody raped and murdered his wife and daughter. And one thing he wants to say to that rapist murderer, I'll forgive you. Idiot. You're not capable of forgiving him. Number one, he didn't rape and murder you. The only human being that can forgive him, he's already choked the very life out of him. And they're not alive to forgive him. And the only other one is God. And that's told between him and God. And I've got no business getting in between there. And let me tell you what they do. Every time they do that on television. And people just praise them. What great people they are. They're aiding and abetting crime. That's exactly what they're doing. Need to read the Bible. Anyway. Christ before Pilate portrays the exact condition every sinner is in before God. He must face the awesome holiness of God, take the blame, be silenced before God, or else there's no pardon. In our text here, verse 26. Well, let's read a little bit before this. Verse 21. The governor answered, said unto them, whether of the twain or the two. Talking about Barabbas or Jesus. Barabbas, the convicted killer. Whether the twain or the two will you that I release unto you. They said, Barabbas. 
Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? And they all say unto him, Let him be crucified. Do you think they ever thought about that again? Let, give us Barabbas, let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why? What evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. Y'all do what you want to do. I'm innocent. You know what? No, he's not. You can't wash your hands in water and become innocent before God. You can't do any such thing. Then I answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. You reckon some of them were right there when Peter preached on the day of Pentecost? You with wicked hands have taken and crucified and slain him. Then released he Barabbas unto them. And when he had scourged Jesus, <clears throat> I thought he was washing his hands of it. Who released Barabbas? Pilate. Who scourged Jesus? Or had him done? Pilate. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. The most excruciating, that word comes from cross. Capital punishment ever. We weary ourselves trying to figure out a humane way to execute criminals. I say all you need is a rope. And if it's a good rope, you can hang quite a few people with one rope. Wouldn't be much expense at all. But look at what expense all these governments have gone through. And, and then even canceling them because afraid they'll experience something with the drugs, the wrong combination of drugs. <clears throat> anyway, they weren't worried about that in Jesus' day. Matter of fact, they wanted to make it as painful as they possibly could. And they arrived there. And anyway, I ask you the question. Has your mouth been stopped before God? Have you taken the blame before God? And if you haven't, you think you're saved. 